Let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all of your good gifts, uh, which you bestowed upon us. We pray for uh, just openness to the Holy Spirit today, wherever you may want to guide us. We pray also for all those who are uh, will listen to this podcast. And we pray that we may speak your words, Lord, but ever to know your wisdom and to just share uh, that wisdom, that light with the world. And we ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again, sister, for coming on. And this is uh, Father Jacob Willig and Michael Saul. Oh, hi, Father. <laughs> you look so young to be a priest. <laughs> yeah, not as young as these guys. Yeah, so Johnny just graduated, what, last year? Mm -hmm. And then Michael, of course, in his senior year of college. And uh, yes, yeah, so thanks for being here to speak to us. Great. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about uh, just your story? Okay, um, well... Uh, I'm from a big family. There's eight of us. Uh, my youngest brother's a priest. Okay. Um, my mother and father were wonderful role models. So uh, I, I reflect back now at how blessed I am because, you know, as we get older, we start to see the dysfunctions of society, you know, and the lack of a father figure in some families. It's not the children's fault, but things happen. Mm -hmm. um, I real, realize how blessed my family was. My father was you know, he, you guys would love, would have loved him. He, he played football for Na Notre Dame for a year. Oh, wow. nice. he, he stopped playing because he wanted to focus on his studies there. He finished college in three years because the war had occurred, hmm. second world war. And so they were rapidly getting people through college. Dad went on to no Georgetown med school he did still serve a few years in the armed forces. So then so both of my parents went to mass every day, as long as I can remember. Mom, uh, in those days, most moms were stay-at-home moms. And so um, I also took that for granted, that my dad was able to afford enough to be able to keep, allow my mother to stay home. So it was a real stable home environment. We were always out, you know, causing trouble, riding our bikes, <laughs> staying out late till it got so dark that my mom would have to yell out and tell us to come back in and but that was a carefree life for us um I miraculously went to medical school at Georgetown um and on to I'd signed in on the army to help pay the tuition they had a, they still have a special scholarship program so I joined the military to help with the the education and I've those first three years after med school, I did family medicine training. And then on, I did a, some work overseas. I got to serve in the Sinai Peninsula, which is a triangular plot of land between Egypt and Israel. I <clears throat> served in Korea where I experienced a miracle of a patient uh, with Lord's Water who was in a coma. Mm -hmm. And I was bringing her back to the States. They had asked me to medevac or to escort her back. And the mother who was a... The daughter was Catholic, and the two of us prayed over her. She was on a ventilator. She was on a breathing machine 
in the midst of the air in the heavens, she woke up after blessing her with the Lord's water. So it was a real profound experience for me to know that God was really alive, that our, that our feeble prayers, I shouldn't say are, but my feeble prayers, uh, you know, can be answered. So then I, I was, had always been in the back of my mind, my heart, feeling God was calling me to religious life. So I continued to seek and find, try to find a community that I felt God was calling me to because I was a physician. I thought the natural match would be a community that served as physicians and nurses and whatnot. But the two communities I looked at were very, you know, this was like now in the eighties, they were very liberal. They were using new, new, one community was using new age um, things like tarot cards and I mean, horrible things. And then the other one was, you know, giving out condoms and birth control pills to, to people that they were caring for. Like they had a ministry of serving prostitutes and so they'd give out condoms. And so I questioned that it's like, is, is that really, is that really the right thing to do? And they got really defensive and I said, well, you know, it was good to find that out early on. So then it was just sort of my mantra was, Lord, to whom shall I go? But then I followed my heart, which was general surgery. And I was blessed to get into a surgical program. And in those years of surgery, plus training, plus a, a, an extra year of training of um, research, I had two significant patients that I was able to take care of. One was Cardinal Hickey, who was our Cardinal in Washington at the time who was a fabulous cardinal. He, I could spend hours talking about all the good he did in D.C., um, but he had open-heart surgery, and I was the chief resident on that cardiac surgery service, so I was the one that, you know, you know, you have to use a saw yeet, to open the chest, to harvest the veins, and help kind of hold his pulsatile heart as he, as the heart surgeon did the bypass surgery and then I closed him up and afterwards you know post-operatively he was um you know in the ICU for several days and I was the, since I was the chief I was there with him all the time so we became very close and also helped because then my youngest brother was entering the priesthood he I think he was ordained in 94 and um so here he Cardinal Hickey had this relationship with me plus my brother who is a wonderful you need to get you guys joey you got to get my brother to you got to interview him he's really good he'll keep you awake uh, <laughs> and um, so anyhow that was that great experience and he he um he basically uh became my spiritual director so i was able to no matter where i went he would you know communicate with me write letters i mean this was a cardinal of the biggest one of the i think maybe the flagship diocese of the united states and then later on in 97 mother Teresa came into town and i was able to quote be her doctor i mean i just was there with her 24 7 uh, which was a miracle in many ways but one of which is because i was in my final year of surgery and you know you you are the chief of a of a you know your service which means you have to live in the hospital but for one whole week i got to live next to mother Teresa. So my friends, you know, covered for me and they, it was just really uh, a mystical experience because Mother Teresa was one of my high school heroes. I mean, I had read every book, watched every movie on her life and said, this is what I want to do to serve the poorest to, uh, you know, to make a fourth vow of 
free loving medical care for the poor. And so that's what I do. Um, I met the little workers. Well, just to kind of mention, since this is Veterans Day, I had kept my relationship with the military as an inactive reservist. But then in 2000, I joined a unit that walked back to Walter Reed. But in those days, you know, reserving was just basically going to the hospital and reading your journals and, and then you know, clicking off the weekend. But when the two towers fell, which is, you know, I was in, I was actually there at the time that evening, I was at the base of the towers. Um, so I saw firsthand hell and the, and the evil of, of humanity against others. Um, I was with two missionaries of charity. No, I had not become a sister yet, but I was, I had met the little workers a year and a half earlier through a wonderful priest, Father Robert Falabella, who was a Vietnam vet. He was a priest in the Vietnam War. He's written a great book about his experience. And we still keep in touch today. He's 90 years old. He texts me every morning a spiritual um, message. But he introduced me to this little community of Italian sisters who I didn't have any, you know, so just to tell your listeners, because many people want to know, how do I know God is calling me to this or that? Or, and I think the best way to allow God to work through you is to not, is to push away all your, your own personal agenda. Cause it wasn't until I finally said, okay, I'm not going to, I was sort of like manipulating a medical community and this, and that. basically um, what, what I um, discovered was that it wasn't until I finally said, totally emptied myself of my own free will and let God work in through me to decide. And so it was a this beautiful little community of sisters that are very traditional. 80% are school teachers, but we our medical mission has blossomed because our founder, who Monsignor Francesco Greco beatified in 2016 as a holy priest in Southern Italy during very difficult times in the late 1800s, um, he wanted us, our community of sisters, to spread the heart of Jesus, as you have in that picture, and Mary, and put everyone between the two hearts and whatever ministry we have. So we don't, we're not like the Dominicans that are all school teachers or different, you know, certain ministries. It's whatever the, we have, whatever gift we have, we bring to the community, we, we use it that way. So I was blessed to be able to use our medical, my, you know, continue my medical skills or lack thereof. <laughs> um, and so I still do general surgery through patients that are uninsured uh, in DC. And, and, you know, I've in the past was going overseas a lot more than I am now, but Sudan, Haiti, Iraq, things like that. Um, and we run a pro bono physical therapy, diabetic eye clinic in our convent. We just got a big grant to enhance our eye clinic. Uh, we have a pregnancy center next door. We have, you know, a mom or with, we hopefully will get another mother with a baby soon. And that's managed by two beautiful missionaries that are helping us. And so it's, um, it's a fantastic um, mission that the Lord has allowed us to be his arms and hearts for. So that's it in a nutshell. I, I retired in the army in 2008 2009. So I got to be both a sister and a military doctor. And my last mission was in Afghanistan. Um, and for, you know, it's 90 days boots on the ground. And, you know, during that 
three months of being in Afghanistan, we had started out with five of us, but at the end of the nine, the three months, we had about a hundred people coming in every day praying. We had some people converting that had were were nothing. They had no faith, but they saw the love and the joy of our small little group. And so, as you know, I think it was Saint Francis that coined the phrase, "You know, go out and preach to all nations." And if you have to say a few words, go ahead. But we preach more with our actions. So I. I, I mean, hoping. So we, that was a great experience and helped me realize the military on this great Veterans Day is a beautiful two things. The family, the nuclear family is the most magnificent garden of vocations. Um, the military is also a great garden of vocations. You know, when you're in harm's way and you see death, you see, you see the fragile, the fragileness of um, life. Uh, and you're seeing people in other parts of the world who have nothing, it helps you to reflect that maybe I want to be all for Christ. Mm -hmm. So any young man out there or any young lady discerning, um, especially in the military, you know, there's plenty of the, uh, the harvest is plenty, the, and we need more laborers, right, Father? Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Good. Okay. Thank you. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. So many things we could talk about there. And you're just so grateful for your, your witness. To, and it's amazing, yeah, how the Lord works in our lives, too. I think it's beautiful, too, you know, and thinking about, you know, becoming a priest or a sister. Or really, all of us are called, as our Lord says, you know, to a true, true friend is this one who lays down his life for his friends. Right. And that's what people are doing in the military. And that's exactly what we're doing with our lives for Jesus. Uh, so that connection is so beautiful because we are, we're in a battle, right? We're in the spiritual battle. We're in uh, oh. a battle for, yeah, life for so many other things. And uh, so thanks for your witness. It's I great always, to have those two so tied together in your life. And thanks for your service, of course, too, on this veteran. Yeah. Time. I always feel bad, you know, when you have some, like the two of these young guys, then we're talking about, you know, we're in a battle, we're in a battle. And that's like, they're like just ready to embark on their life in great things. And, and all they're hearing is we're in a spiritual battle. It can get a little disconcerting mm. Mm. i don't know yeah. yeah i mean i think a lot of young guys though they when when they hear that they actually uh they they kind of it kind of is exciting a little bit they yeah. feel they want to be a part of a battle uh i i think I've, I've spoken to a lot of guys personally obviously at miami which is a secular institution uh people are are sold you know the world sells people comfort and uh, pleasure and all these things and eventually people just get tired and they're like i want to do something with my life and if that means being a soldier for christ and that's that's amazing there's purpose mm -hmm. there so what do mm -hmm. you think michael yeah um i think like with like especially nowadays um met like the story of like what a man like a man should be uh the, like the story that's being sold is that um I don't know, men should be like weak and stuff. And I feel like, um, yeah, I think like embracing that like masculine, um, like, I guess like masculine nature and wanting to have this big challenge that's in front of you. Um, because like, we all grew up like wanting to be soldiers. We all wanted to like, you know, join the Marine Corps. Like I remember I would watch those uh, videos and get so excited uh, growing up or like the Navy SEAL commercials and stuff. Um but having that in, the, in a different way and like doing it out of a, a spirit of like service, as you were saying, is something uh, I think that's it's pretty attractive to, to young guys these days. 
I think I, I do have a, a quick question for you. So like all of your work overseas and working with the poor and ex- even in like the medical field as well, you've gotten this like pers- like perspective that almost nobody can relate to, um, especially with how sheltered we are in the United States where, you know, like the average person here lives so much better um, than compared to the rest of the world by far. Um, when you were there and you you were able to like be immersed into this like poverty and to like be able to witness kind of the evil of the world uh, not not the evil but like evils of the world overseas um how how did you like maintain um like the hope um how did you maintain the hope and the positive attitude to make like to be able to continue to do your work day after day when you're encountering um very difficult situations and um very sad situations on a daily basis Great question, Michael. Um, I always volunteered for groups that allowed me to have a, a church uh, where I could go to mass every day. And so, so for example, when I was, this is before I entered the little world. Was it before? I can't remember. It was in the early 2000s. Anyhow, with the, there's an organization called the Catholic Medical Mission Board based in New York. And, um, and so I volunteered at hospitals that all had chaplains had priests so one i could go to mass every day and in some places like in sudan you had to get rubber boots that went up to your knees because if there was a rain the little riverbed that's usually dry would be full of water and i um so the eucharist uh, going to mass every day and and also well in when i was in um uh it was in north kenya uh, which was one of the hardest uh, experiences I had because I was pretty much alone. I was been I was able to have the Blessed Sacrament. It was locked in my trunk. I was alone, but I could expose every day. And so I spent in the in the cool days hours of the day. I would have adoration by myself, and then the day would go on, and I would go do the rounds in the hospital. So. Uh, you know, I was our founder of the Little Workers of the Sacred Hearts. He said it was before the Most Blessed Sacrament that I found the love of Jesus and the power of that love. And if our, our young soldiers, our young foot soldiers for Christ, could realize the power, and even when we go in there, weak and feeble. So, for example, during that, I tell everyone when I went in to pray before the election between the 2020. I prayed with a very feeble, weak heart, but I was, I was concerned, but I, you know, you just pray thinking, oh, God doesn't really hear these things, but I'm going to just say it anyhow, Lord, use me in any way you want. I want to be your voice for life. Now I was thinking 40 days for life going, you know, things like that. But when I got a call from the White House and asked me to speak at the Republican National Convention, I, God said, aha, uh-huh, I told you, you know, don't, don't worry, I'm here for you. But that I try to do all my prayers. Um, you know, most of my group, big decisions before the blessed sacrament and our community, we have adoration every day. Uh, we, in our little house, because we're, it's, it's a bit of a nursing home environment. We actually have it twice a day. And so it's really the, it's sort of like the power pack of our lives that even if it's just for whatever you can steal in your day, five minutes, 10 minutes, 
of just gratitude or just closing your eyes and oh, God, I'm so tired. Help me or I got a big exam tomorrow. Um, uh, I always tell my medical students, I said, just go in that exam, say, Lord, you know, because you want to be Jesus's doctor or God's whatever you decide to be. Lord, I've done my best. You do the rest. And trust me, I'm not any Einstein. I'm just a pack mule for Jesus. And he got me through some of the most difficult exams and whatnot. So that's how I got through those difficult times in in third world countries, in poor countries. But the it was very refreshing where I worked because most people were faith filled. Even I worked in the Nuba Mountains of Sudan. There was there was a mixture of Christians and Muslims, and some within the whole same family. But they were getting along together. It wasn't like trying to have a Republican and a, and a Democrat living in the same house. You might see World War III right there. But, you know, these were people that, you know, agreed to disagree. They loved, but they loved their God, and they really were pro-life people. Abortion was taboo. Um, and, well, in the Muslim culture, they had many wives, so... That wasn't, you know, the sticky part was when they had a conversion to Catholicism. And one one man said to, to the Bishop Gassis once, he was the Bishop of Sudan. He was a very good friend of mine. The 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 tribal guy said, I, I want to be a Catholic, but which wife do I choose? He liked five. <laughs> so, you know, there's like these little crazy things with missionary work. <clears throat> you get really simple too. You know, like I'm living, staying in a hotel because the, place where I was supposed to stay here in Texas was um the priest we got there was a drop in the to say any I'm in a hotel there's like roaches everywhere wow. I just had them tell the guy come in and just kill the roach and <laughs> but you get used to I mean that's that I had I was telling my sister <laughs> where I stayed in Sudan there were scorpions everywhere I just and then Kenya I just sat there you know when I got back from the hospital with a raid can we'd have like um spider uh, these spy, these camel spiders that cause paralysis and they're the size of your palm with hairy legs so they're not really attractive either <laughs> and um and so and they usually come after a windstorm they kind of blow into your what we call the hooch but um uh see you know your 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 level of pickiness and your okay. you know things you get a little bit more simple-minded which i think helps in, in your life as you get older you're not going to be so persnickety about little things uh so wow. the eucharist awesome. is the answer to that long question <laughs> yeah. well speaking of the eucharist not really but i i wanted to ask you real quick sister um yeah. i i know you you said you testified in for father fidelis in court uh recently yeah. uh could you share uh about that uh and experience and just like uh, what that was like, and maybe even about Father Fidelis, who he is, and and why you felt called to testify on his behalf. So Father Fidelis is a is a hero for life. He's a CFR, a, a Franciscan friar of the renewal, and he has felt called by God to, and because he's free to do so, he's not married. He's got doesn't have you know his 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 community has given him the freedom to be able to, if he gets in prison for three months or so, that he can go. So he basically does the, what's called the Red Rose Rescue. And they basically go into Planned Parenthood or abortion mills 
to spread the gospel of Jesus and to give them an alternative because uh, uh, pregnancy abortion centers are supposed to give the options, but they don't, the option of life or death. But they don't. They just really try to rush you in to get your abortion. So father goes in to um, give them that option of life, which always irritates the staff at Planned Parenthood or other abortion mills. And they'll ask him, go, go, go. And he said, no, I don't have to go. I'm, you know, I'm here as a, and so he gets, basically, he was arrested, I think, for um, resisting, uh, resisting the removal of, I forget the um, legal term. But in one way, he purposely gets arrested and he's got about eight more cases to go, eight more court hearings. He just got out of jail for three months with um, another guy, two other guys, the other one, William, I forget his last name, but um, they, they're they wonderful people. They just have devoted their life to that. So so father was court hearing in Pennsylvania. Was It's a two and a half hour drive from me. And they, they asked if I would testify. And so, you know, I blocked out my time. And this was the third or fourth time they asked me to do this, where at the last minute it got canceled. So I wasn't 100%. Anyhow, I drove up. It was my first time. And I always had to think about Atticus Fence. If you've ever seen the To Kill a Mockingbird, if you haven't watched that movie, he was such a great um, lawyer. So... So the pro-life lawyer that father has was a very, very good. You could tell there's just total holiness there. And you can see the the, the Planned Parenthood, the evil, you know, the short hair, the tattoos everywhere. And it's like an amazing, you know, got myself and father and uh, the, all the ladies that were there who were wearing their pro-life buttons and everything. So I got to testify. It was a, they they didn't want me to testify the Planned Parenthood side mm. and I did I got to the judge was a partial but she she was open to having me so I, they they asked me questions like when does life begin I got to say at the moment of conception and then they asked what's an abortion and I said it's the murdering of a child and that's why father sacrifices his life to run in to try to save that child who's going to be aborted this is the reason why he does what he does. Um, and so it was really a great opportunity at this little court level to kind of open that door up, that, you know, that dusty room door of of lies and and falsehoods and to bring out the fresh air of the truth. And so Father's got a few more court. I just saw him. We were at a mutual Zoom meeting for good counsel He's on that group and he was there. So so keep him in your prayers and that whole group of Red Rose Rescue. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. I I can I know we I was just at a court hearing in, in Ohio where oh. they heard about the heartbeat law and it was just so discouraging because there was it was they there was a doctor there who was speaking for life, but they the Planned Parenthood attorney just asked him so many questions that everyone was just confused by the end and like there was no oh. it was so 
And then they they put a stay on the heartbeat law in Ohio, which is still in effect right now. So uh, just the fact that you were able to be there and testify is just so amazing and I'm sure is is saving lives. And who knows about the conversion of the the attorneys or the judge as well. Well, that's what I was hoping. Well, the judge, I think, might be so at the end. She apologized for the father's verdict. We don't know what the verdict is yet. I, I haven't heard from father yet, but he was found guilty on two of the five parts, but they were misdemeanors. And she, when at the end she apologized, she said, because this she goes, but I have to go by the law, not by how I feel. Mm-hmm. So you could tell she was, right. you know, not not someone who was really wanting to try to you know, knock them down. So mm. that was good. And, and, you know, you're right, um, Joey, because Johnny, because what um, I wish I had done with the three ladies that were standing there waiting to hear the verdict was to ask if I could pray with them. We were praying divine mercy, but we didn't, you know, they were standing there listening to us, but they, while we were waiting for the verdict and they were standing there, but I did have the judge, the lawyer on the other side was an Afro-American. I said, do you, I just said, do you know, do you, can I ask you a few questions? She goes, yes. And I said, do you know that 70% of the babies aborted in New York city are black? I know, you know, and um, I forgot what else would I said, but she was like very snippy about her answers. And I said, she goes, I just want to help women be able to make the choice they want to make. And I said, even if the child is a, a mother or is, is a, a female, and she goes, even if it's a child, it's a female, I don't care. And my sister is a doctor and she doesn't believe life begins at conception. And I said, well, she doesn't believe in science then. So we had that little discourse, but I wish I had said, could we pray with you? So that was my, my bad, my mistake, but next time. Wow. <laughs> well, I don't know if they let us. Father Jacob's always getting us to pray or, or, or sing sing Salve Regina in the middle of a restaurant. So uh, maybe, maybe you need Father Jacob Willig with oh, you there man. next time. Oh, man, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Father. Same thing like you're saying, you know, my parents. Uh, but yeah, the importance of prayer, I love how you bring that up because we realize prayer changes things. You know, that the Lord mm-hmm. wants to be present to us uh, in our weaknesses. And certainly we don't always have the right words. We just got to do it, you know, and he wants to be present and uh, wherever two or more are gathered. And uh, yeah, so thanks for your witness too. Certainly, yeah, there's big moments in our lives, whether it's, you know, the students ready for the next test or praying for the job or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, here also, we have adoration every single day. And we realize just the importance of coming before Jesus and being strengthened, you know, by his presence, by his most sacred heart. He just wants to pour out into us uh, just his spirit and his life every day. Yeah. And that's yes. really, yeah, I know you spoke of Mother Teresa too. I know everyone knows she works with the poor, which is amazing, but also everyone in their order, they're praying like a couple hours a day, you know, even before, you know, an hour before they go out, you know, they take a break, pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so all of us mm-hmm. need that, you know, all of us need mm-hmm. that. And so thank you so much for your witness, sister, too, to that. Cause, yeah. I yeah. mean, we have to, there's times when I remember when I was in Korea and there was a young soldier, Korean soldier that was killed and the mother went in and just fell her pull you know just, I think it was just like a senseless death like he got in a fight with somebody they stabbed him and anyhow she just threw her body on her son just started crying and I just went up and there's no words you can well first of all she's Korean <laughs> but there's no words that would ever suffice the broken heart of a mother of a death of a child mm-hmm. 
And so just we just invoke the Holy So, Michael, to answer your question back on the other question you had about how I handle it, I just, that's when I really beg the Holy Spirit to take over, which the Holy Spirit will do. Because sometimes we just don't have words, but the but the Holy Spirit can soothe the hearts of those who are broken. And I want to just give a little bit of a plug with my brother, who's now the Bishop of Springfield, Massachusetts, which is kind of a liberally area. He, someone told me that when I met her, it's a lady that I met in St. Louis, she said that when he first arrived and he arrived in a diocese that's fraught with complications and horrible things. I mean, he walked into a hornet's nest. And so he met every priest in that diocese and he sat with them and he said, I only want you to do one thing. And that is you need to spend your morning, your your first hour in the morning before the blessed sacrament and then go about your day. And that's what he does. Yeah. And I, I'm already seeing a change. They've already got now two vocations after none in 30 something years or whatever. I mean, he's just, wow. you know, he is also, and this is a great time because this is the year of the Eucharist, three years of the Eucharist. So it, it's really important because only 30% of people really believe in the true presence. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I might get in trouble and you can, you can cancel this part of what I'm going to say, but I think that our bishops and our Pope have not been strong enough for those abortion minded politicians that say they're Catholic. They should be not allowed to receive our Lord. Nobody should receive our Lord if we're not in the state of grace, if we're not, if we have a mortal sin on our soul and anyone who promotes abortions Anyone who says after the overturn of Roe v. Wade that it's a sad day for America, uh, that's a sad day for that person who said that because their soul is in mortal danger and hell is real. I have two I have, uh, two med students, pre-med students that, that shadow me in the clinic. One's an agnostic. The other one's Catholic but doesn't believe in hell. Neither of them believe in hell. That's a big problem. Hmm. And uh, they're both seniors in college. And so that we have a lot of lost souls out there, you guys. You have a lot of work to do. Because <laughs> you, Father and I can't really go to the front lines of the universities and talk to these guys and gals. You two can. Um, they, they'd look at me and run away. <laughs> but you all can go in and, and go into that bar and, you know, have a little beer and chat with them. And And so you are the... The 007s, the front lines of this, that's the battlefront right there, is changing hearts. So true. I've so been true, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I've been telling everybody, we'd be have to go evangelizing the bar way more often. <laughs> you heard it here from Sister Didi, that's right. Yeah, my blessing. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Yeah, and of course, we do, uh, our main ministry here is for college students. So what other advice would you give to uh, our college students, men and women, um, yeah, with all of your wisdom, all your experience, sister. I don't know what wisdom I have. Most people think <laughs> I'm a wise aleck, but um, uh, I just, I'll just tell you, I'm going to pass on the wisdom that Mother Teresa gave me when I, the very last day that I got to be with her and we were sitting in this Learjet, some millionaire gave her to fly everywhere she needed to go. And she just looked at me and she said, keep your eyes on the cross. So 
just I would tell the students who have an inkling of faith to keep their eyes on the cross. They're going to say, what's that? And you can explain. That's when you start to explain what the cross is. It's the it's our it's our pathway. It's the freeway to eternity with God, because, you know, our life, this life on Earth is just a way of the cross. I mean, there's some beautiful moments and but there's some difficult moments. But this is not our heaven. Hell is real. I would, you know share with them the story of Fatima. That's what I did with the two students because they didn't know anything about Our Lady of Fatima. And go through the three messages that the three children, which I believe the third secret is still in the making. Because mm -hmm. um, Cardinal, I mean, uh, Pope Benedict said, you know, the three secrets were, well, the vision of hell. And the second one was to consecrate, uh, to pray the rosary to consecrate the um, Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and through prayers, pray, 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 and repent. And and the third secret was a vision of the Pope walking up of an alleyway of dead priests and religious and lady. And then he goes up to hug the cross and gets shot and killed with arrows and bullets. And in the background is a, a devastated village. And, and some people think that that third secret was Pope John Paul II getting an attempted, you know, um, shot. But I've been reading a lot about it. And Pope Benedict, in um, I think it was uh, 2012, said that the the evil is not only um, outside of the church, but it's within the church. Uh, and then we've got, you know, this these politicians who are being able to speak out and get away with literally getting away with murder even though what they're saying with the pro-life you know been against the pro-life and it's a sad day in america that roe v wade have been has been overturned and you know just all the things that we we're experiencing in the church right now so the evil within the church now that's closing of traditional latin masses which in one way is going to backfire because so many young people I know I was this way. When someone said, you can't do this. I said, oh, yeah, I want to know. <laughs> and then I, I want to find out what I couldn't do and then and then do it. So so <laughs> I want to seek out all that mass and then go and experience that. And it's a beautiful, it's, it's so rich. And the uh, Norba Soto has its own beauty. It's, it's but, but if for some, the Latin mass, so to close it, and what has happened is now there's a Carmelite convent in Saint in Philly, 120 year old Carmelite convent that lived off the Latin, and the priest was told he couldn't say mass there anymore, which was a death sentence for any contemplative. So they went off to back to Nebraska or somewhere. So that 120 year old convent is closed. So, yeah, there's a lot of you know hor like horrible things that are happening with that within within the church and everything, um, and. Yeah, that's it's honestly like super discouraging as like um as students as young people the the, the future of the church truly um but I think like you can definitely see that there's also like a, a big shift that's happening as well from the the liberal era of the church to coming you know from the 1980s 70s we hear all the the horror stories of it um the pendulum has definitely swung do you agree in terms of like oh. the young people I remember. Uh, I mean, I'm from Chicago, so like 
some of the big um the big churches there that have the traditional latin mass like saint john cantius and um old saint mary's here in here in cincinnati like they're full on sundays where the churches the the churches that um you know are not being as reverent that are um frankly being like disrespectful those churches are empty and um so overall i just think that like there's there's a lot of like horror stories, even if you think about, you know, what's happening in Europe and Germany, how, and, and all the, the politics around the church. Um, it, it's important to think about those things, but knowing that like in the end, God will win. And like the, the devil has no chance to win in that, in this infiltration of the church, you know? Um, so I always like to like frame it in that way. I agree a hundred percent. I think things are getting better in the mindset of the young people. What do you think, father? Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm always uh, encouraged here, uh, just by our students, you know, the faithfulness on campus. Well, I think, um, yeah, oftentimes, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds. <laughs> yeah. And mm -hmm. so I think we see that here. Like, of course, you know, there's always the darkness in the world, but the light is becoming brighter. I think at the yes. same time. Mm -hmm. uh, so thanks be to God. And of course, with Our Lady, she'll always get us there, you know. And so mm -hmm. Ron, mm -hmm. we know our Lord has triumphed already. And uh, yeah, so it's definitely, um, yeah, praise God. It's, mm. it's an exciting time for us. It is an exciting it, time. It, it's, it's very exciting this time because the, you know, we can actually see the enemy ahead of us more clearly. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we just have to be, you know, the best we can for Christ, the heroes for Christ and to be battle ready, which means, you know, when I mentioned um, when I was in Cincinnati talking about Joan of Arc, she when her soldiers went to battle, she had a priest with them to be able to keep their souls pure. So if they were to get that arrow in their heart, that they would be, um, she would feel assured that her soldiers went to heaven. And so we just have to be battle ready for that by keeping in the state of grace. Also through confession and, and the Eucharist, but also you see more clearly. Of when you are, you can be able to be God's instrument more clearly if you don't have the the glasses fogged up by some gunk. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like sin is, I'll kind of take a few quotes from my brother, but sin is not what we are, it's what we're not. Mm -hmm. And confession is like a, a pipe and sin is that gunk in a pipe and confession is like liquid Drano that cleans that pipe and clears things out and so we can be so the and the water is the love of and the, the spirit of the lord working through us and it works better when we don't have that gunk in the center mm -hmm. and um so so just stay stay battle ready and trust in god to know that every moment there's something that's going to happen like at the end of the day with that examination of conscience to see, look back to see how God had worked, was able to work through you. So it's not, it's not as St. Paul said, it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives within me so that you can be there for that person. Um, just as just a real quick example, I got, I was blessed to meet a woman named Anna Maria Schmidt, who was, had been in Auschwitz for a year. She was from Slovakia, Czechoslovakia. She died just a few years ago at the age of about 95, but she had met her her um, husband during the Nuremberg trial. She was, because of her linguist, linguistic skills after the war, Second World War, she was involved with that. 
and her husband was a, a Marine officer. So they married and she spent, but before that she spent a whole year in Auschwitz. And um, so she had experienced all the, the horrible things of the second world war. And um, so later on, and, and Anna Maria used to, I used to help her with retreats along with sister Philip Marie, this friend of mine who had been euthanized and that we can do and talk about that another time about that because we're going to do a special event on euthanasia. But Anna Maria was um, had told me that Freemasonry was infiltrated, had infiltrated into the Vatican. She knew that for a fact. And so she was flying from Maine, which was her home, down to New Louisiana to give a retreat. And her, she got bumped. And she was this very tall um um Slovakian and she had conversations with Jesus as if we were having it she goes Lord I'm really angry with you right now how come you made me get bumped I'm an old lady now and I really was hoping I'd get down to Louisiana earlier than later anyhow she gets on the next plane and who sits beside her but a guy that she recognizes a KGB agent hmm. and he sees her and he starts to meant say kind of whisper all these um Russian slurs. She knew Russian. These, you know, like you ugly, you know, he's going through all these terrible things. And she just read a book like she didn't know what he, you know, pretending she didn't know what, what he was saying or doing. Then before they landed, she goes to the stewardess and she says, I can tell you why later, but I have a KGB agent sitting right next to me. And he's been wanted for many years. So when the plane lands, the doors stay closed. The pilot says, everyone remain in your seats, keep your seatbelts on until the doors open and still remain seating. The doors open and in came these agents with guns straight to his seat. And then she says in German, I mean, or in Russian, something to him. She goes, you can't mess with, with Jesus. <laughs> and then she goes, okay, Lord, now you know, now I know why I got bumped. <laughs> so... This is a true story. <laughs> Anna Maria was a remarkable woman, a very wow. holy lady. So uh, well, we never amazing. know when things happen. It's there's always a reason for it. There's always some good that comes out of it. Mm. Um, and just that we can try to stay open to the way the Lord guides us in in His way. Mm. Uh, so yeah, and and thank you so much, sister, for coming on. And and one thing I love is you just and you're unafraid to tell the truth, the reality of life that we're living in which a lot of people I think are afraid to do. And at the same time, you're not just uh, being part of the problem, but you're you're trying to help people be part of the solution and, and draw closer to the hearts of Mary and Jesus. So thank you so much for everything uh, you do. Just no, thank so. you. Yeah. Well, I'll give you one quick two minute answer to that one. Um, I This past week, I had a young man who was here for hernia and um, I had my two students that one thought I'm Catholic, but I don't believe in hell. The other one, I'm agnostic. And so, and then I had a young Catholic university student, a girl who is like you both, very devout in her faith. And um, so I had this little group and this patient, I said, uh, I'd seen that he had some urinary infection the year before. And in a 22 year old, that usually is a flag for venereal disease. So I said, are you you know, do you have, a, are you living, I mean, do you have a, are you sexually active? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course. And I said, oh, um, are you 
so now I'm, you know, he's talking to me at the Catholic Charities Clinic and I'm wearing a habit. So at this junction, I can say, oh, okay, great. So now tell me about your hernia or I zero in on his, you know, his sexual activity. So I said, well, do you, do you believe in hell? And he said, no. I said, I looked at the student. I said, see, this is the problem, guys. People don't do believe in hell. And so you can do anything you want. I said, well, do you, do you want to drive a used car all the time? Or do you want to get a brand new, brand new car? Well, I said, well, you're using your girlfriend. And I said, are you, are you Catholic? And he said, well, my mom and dad, I was raised Catholic. I had all the sacraments. I said, okay, then you should know a little bit better. I said, your soul is in mortal danger right now. And if you were to die right now, you'd have a good chance of going to hell. I said, don't worry, I'm going to take care of your hernia. But, and I looked at the guys and they're like, their jaw has dropped. And I said, no, I, if I don't speak out as a Catholic sister, because I'm not only a doctor for your, your body, but for your soul, then it's shame on me. So I have to, I have enough reason, you know, to be in purgatory. I don't want to add to it. So we do have to speak truth. So I said, you know, you really need to readjust your thinking about what you do with your girlfriend and whatnot, because yes, it might be mutual, but you are using her for your own pleasure. And really that's why we wait till marriage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was like a little cocky 22 year old kid. I said, do you live with her? He goes, no, I live with my mom and dad. I said, okay, well, you need to reflect on this and think about, pray about this because you're in deep trouble right now. And, and so if I don't say that it's, it's my, my bad, you know, it's my, Mm -hmm. I shouldn't, I'm the one. So we do have to truth with love. We do have to speak to our Mm -hmm. friends. They might, they may not want to talk to you ever again, or, but they might think about it. They'll be mad for you for a while, but they'll think at least you said what you said, and then you're at, you can be at peace and, and always be open for them to come back and talk more about what the truth is mm-hmm. for them. Amen. Okay. Well, yeah, sister, thanks so much. I don't want to take your whole day, but it's been such That's a, okay. it's a pleasure having you. Thank and you so uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you I, both for you. I think yeah. we usually make the end in a, in a prayer. Sure. So father Jacob, you want to sure. Yeah. Let's close yeah. with a prayer in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your blessings. We thank you for Sister being here with us today. We thank you for uh, her witness, Lord, and continue to bless her work and us also here. May we ever be dedicated to you, Lord Jesus. And we pray for our church today. And we know, Lord, that you are uh, alive and living and want us to, to live that truth each and every day. We commend all of our work, prayers, joys, hopes, sufferings, everything to your most sacred heart, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And we pray, Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dogs out. Listen.